Welcome to the GMS Podcast, brought to you by GMS Distribution. GMS specializes in temporary portable power distribution equipment for the restoration contractor. I am your host and owner of GMS, Jared Steer, and today I will be talking to my friends. All right, there we go. We're recording. I have Andrew Gulkin on the phone. How's it going, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing. I'm doing really good. It is nice to get you back on the podcast. Uh, you were a previous guest in episode 74, I think. I'm pretty sure it was 74. And uh, yeah, man, we talked talked a lot about kind of your background and how you got started, and and then where you went from there. And uh, yeah, I'm glad to have you back and to just keep keep digging and take a uh, another look at things. Awesome. Happy to be here. So, uh, yeah, anybody who wants to know about Andrew, go back and listen to 74. Um, we're not going to do a, the whole background and everything again. Um, <laughs> but kind of, well, before we started recording, we were talking. Um, I kind of I kind of want to talk, because you're in the D.C. area, um, and I just went to D.C. for the first time, like, uh, I think just a week ago. Uh, so first, it was just kind of crazy to me, because I feel like I've, I've been traveling. I've traveled a lot for, for work. But like never, just never been to DC. I swear, like been to every other big city three times, but never, never DC. So I was really excited to go. And then once, once I got there, um, but it's the mall, correct? The Monument Mall. Yeah, is that, the mall. And uh, and we were just talking about how big, how big everything is. I mean, I think we walked like six miles a day, and still didn't. I don't think got to everything. <laughs> Yeah, I don't doubt it. <laughs> so that was that was pretty cool. What is uh, I guess what are some of the things in DC that you really enjoy? Oh, well, you know, I think one of the benefits of the city is that you can pretty much go to any of the museums and monuments and all that stuff at no charge, and and um, it's just easy to access everything. Yeah. And so, you know, when we have guests or clients or whatever you know like there's there's just a lot to do so um uh you know we, we can take them to a lot of things that uh are all in one central area and that's and all the history as well so much and, history uh, me, that's a highlight so yeah so much history is there any one particular thing that you like better than anything else um you know i've always found the national galleries of art pretty interesting i don't know if you guys saw them but um there's an east side and a west side, so there's two buildings. And uh, one of them is uh, a gallery of modern art, and the other one is more, you know, uh, historical. And um, okay, they're kind of built that way, too, which is pretty cool, so the actual structures. Um, so, you know, you can kind of go and uh, cross, cross the street and, you know, cross, into, cross from one era into another. And I've always found that the way they set that up and, the events that they have at those buildings are always pretty cool. So, very cool. No, and we didn't we didn't make it there, but I'm I'm planning on. I mean, I'm going to go back again soon to because we didn't. I mean, there's still so much more, so much more to see. But I guess any any listener, I would encourage you, um, if you haven't been to Washington D.C., go take a take a three day weekend and and plan on walking. And uh, there's a ton <laughs> of stuff to do, ton of stuff to see, and uh, a lot of good food too. A lot of good food, good drinks. Uh, it was just Man, I just had a great time. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. Well, cool. Um, man, okay, well, let's now getting back to getting back to business. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so 
I, th- I think I'm really I'm I'm really interested in when you were, I guess the the Gulkin Enterprises part of your, of you. Um, can it kind of explain explain that a little bit? Because I don't know that we really we didn't talk too much about it. We stayed more on the Paul Davis side uh, last time. But what is what is the Gulkin Enterprises? What's the mission there? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, as we were growing our Paul Davis business and, um, you know, I'd grown some businesses before that. Uh, but yeah. I started to realize that, um, you know, have we had a really solid leadership team, um, that was, you know, working well together and things were growing and there's always room for improvement, but, you know, I saw an opportunity to try to create something that would accelerate their careers even faster than, than just the franchise. And, um, and leverage their skills maybe outside the restoration industry. And so we all talked about it. And, uh, the, you know, the first opportunity actually came up when a flooring vendor discussed starting a flooring company uh, with us. And um, we kind of went forward just seeing it as a vertical integration into the business. And uh, okay. and then I started realizing the shared services that we had behind the scenes that we were using to kind of start that business. Um, and I took that model and basically said, all right, well, what's my future, right? What's the future of the team? And one of the things I always love doing is, is just working in small businesses. Um, I love the, the team aspect of just working with, you know, a leader, a, a small leadership team and not having the bureaucracy of maybe a bigger company and, um, kind of being able to be flexible, nimble, and keep the culture that we want. Um, And so I said, well, maybe we could buy small businesses or partner with them and use that back-end skill set to help them grow, and not as a consultant, but actually have skin in the game. Right. And, um, you know, have equity and put money up. And and, uh, so basically, I mean, we, we just started a small private equity firm just a little family boutique private equity firm and you know our goal was to have 10 10 million dollar companies by 2029 and and um so we kind of just went after it <laughs> that's awesome now how are you are you looking in your like are you trying to stay in your area or what how are you how are you locating or how are where, where do you start when you're trying to find the next company yeah so one of the important things for me is that I'm able to be involved and know the people that work at the organizations, right? So okay. we need proximity. So um, unless it was like an all virtual company or all online where everybody was distributed, then that may be a different story. But uh, honestly, we really focus on service businesses and kind of commodity businesses that you know may not seem attractive to an outside person, but for us, it's what we know. Okay. And um, uh, we try to find, we try to stick to Washington D.C. and South Florida because that's where kind of our home bases are. So the furthest we've ventured out is um, uh, is into Richmond, uh, Virginia, which is about an hour and a half, two-hour drive, you know, from where we are. So it's not it's not real far, but right. Uh, that that gives us the you know I can run down there for a quarterly meeting. I can run down there for appreciation event or whatever right so um we try to try to make sure we're in that kind of proximity okay 
then so once you once you like kind of yeah you got the proximity down i guess how are you how are you finding it are you is there like a brokerage service that that helps or is it word of mouth or how are you or is it probably it's probably maybe different every time too how are you finding these businesses and what businesses do you have right now yeah it's 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 um it's different every time okay but i've learned a lot of lessons and um and you know the uh Basically, there's two different methods. One would be a broker, and then the other would just be kind of a word-of-mouth situation. Okay. Um, I find that when you're dealing with a broker, somebody is ready to sell their business and exit already, and they've kind of prepared it for that. Okay. And that can, that can be a good fit for us, but there's a require. I, we have a requirement that like there's somebody there to take over the business, and at the range and size that we try to buy businesses, um, when they're up with a broker, a lot of times they're looking for kind of an owner operator okay. model okay. and it becomes a little bit tougher for us to kind of fit that into our mold. So, because then we have to find the operator right? and that's a big risk. Uh, you know, we generally invest in the people, not the business. So, um, that's not really a great fit, but, um, I will say like one of our businesses is a restaurant, a janitorial supply company, and that came from a broker, but the situation was that the son was there that had been working there for 10 or 15 years and the parents wanted to retire. Okay. And in order to retire, they needed to sell the business and we were a great fit because we're basically a family owned company buying a family owned company mm. and, you know, almost replacing this guy's parents. Yeah. So that was a, that, that ended up working out awesome. Um, but the word of mouth thing, like we want to get introduced to people who don't know that they need us yet. And what I mean by that is like, there's something going on in the business that, they could benefit from having a partner or a private equity team behind them. Yeah. And they don't really know it yet. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes total, that makes total sense to me. Um, and it sounds like too, I mean, especially with that, you know, kind of that $10 million business, I mean, you kind of, I mean, you grow and you get to a point, but there's only, you can only go. So like you could only one person can take it so far and then it has to go to, you know, the next step. You only, you only know, what you know you don't know what you don't know right is that kind of what what you're seeing when you when you're looking at it that way yeah i mean yeah so we find that under under three million dollars like businesses can be under three million dollars in revenue businesses can be a little bit kind of like finding their way you know like uh yeah just somebody somebody's running all over the place trying to figure out how to be profitable, take care of their people, take care of their customers and all that. And there's not a whole lot of structure there. You just described um, my business. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and then what, what we see is like between a three to 5 million number, that structure is starting to like take shape. And, and usually there's some, some middle management or clearly, you know, there's some backup there uh, in case something were to happen to the main person that's running it or the owner or whatever. Yeah. And, um, then after that, there kind of can be a period of chaos again, because now you're trying to scale. 
Yes. And then, you know, what I found is, and every business is different because the number of people per dollar of revenue really can drive like how chaotic it is, I guess you could say, you know, so because people, people are difficult to manage, right? I mean, just in general, it's the more people you have in a business, a lot of times the more complex it is. So sure. um, what I found is, you know, when you get to around, I mean, it's in the construction industry, when you're getting to like 12, 13, 14 people in, in a restoration business, you know, every 12, 12 13, 14 million, you're going to probably have around 50 people, something like that, right? Okay. So, uh, you know, that level starts to become big business. Um, there's a lot of things that, there's a lot of things that start kicking in, like the FMLA and, you know, just like little, uh, little things that when you get over 50 people in a business, there's, there's some changes you have to make and you kind of have to straighten up. So in that range, like between that three to 5 million is where I see some stability kind of getting created. And then once you get to five to 10, it's this scaling period. And then, you know, once you start getting over 10, um, there's a lot of changes going on again, and there's a lot more structure that gets put into it. And what we wanted to do was really, we don't have to stay under 10 million or anything. It's not, it's not like a limit, right? but it's a reminder to us that like our mission was to grow small businesses. Mm. And if they do get to a hundred million, that's fine. But like, we don't want to forget that culture. Right. So, you know, we don't want to forget that, that grit and the grind and, and uh, the teamwork that, that, you know, goes along with having a small business where there's a few people that uh, are really working with each other now, do instead you, of for some greater energy. And, and this may not this may not be what you're saying, but it's almost to me, it almost oh, it's almost going to sound insulting to some people. But uh, <laughs> I would mean, like the small the smaller companies like maybe the teams are a little more passionate. And then when you get to that hundred million dollar range, you know, now it's just like more corporate robot. Is that accurate or am I just making stuff up? No, I mean, it's not corporate robot. It's just that there's a lot more, there's a lot more complexity in the business when it gets bigger. And when you increase that complexity and increase that risk, you kind of have to put people in positions to manage it. And if you're not careful with that, you're, you could create a lot of paperwork or you could create a lot of red tape or you could create a lot of bureaucracy. Right. Okay. But the thing is, is like you can build a $100 million behemoth and only do one thing really well. And, you know, for us, we just wanted to really utilize the skills of the back end part of the business that we had to grow a bunch of people's careers in different directions while diversifying our portfolio. Um, The other thing is like, you know, we were self-funded and we were really, you know, putting our cash up for a lot of these businesses and we were taking majority stakes and, uh, you know, majority ownership and we were kind of partnering with people and we wanted to make sure that we kept looking at it as partnering with people, not acquiring. That makes sense. Yes. And yeah, it does. so the businesses kind of needed to be in that 500,000 to 3 million in revenue range when we decided to make a purchase 
or a partnership um, because we kind of needed them to be at that level, you know, in order to get that, in order to keep that small feel. And so, you know, we've just targeted those types of businesses. And like I said, there may be one of them that just goes gangbusters and, you know, gets to a hundred million dollars and we're not going to stop it. Yeah. But we're also going to be really careful about asking ourselves whether that really fits the model of what we were trying to build. Well, and, and, and speaking back to that model, uh, you've said even in this conversation a couple of times, grow people's careers, help them accelerate faster. Um, I mean, you keep, I don't ever, I don't ever hear you talking about the, the really the profit margins and the making the money and the products. You always start with the people. Like you're always people. It just seems like you're always people minded. And then even in my, in your, in my relationship, I mean, I mean, dude, and I appreciate it. You reach out to me every once in a while and just like, Hey man, haven't heard from you in a while. What's up? Anything I can help you with? And, uh, which is, which is very meaningful. Thank you for doing that. I really appreciate it. But it's, I think that's one of the things that like, I think you're like a really great, cool guy. Cause you, you're always, you're, you're always people. You're so people focused. Yeah. It could be a strength and the weakness, right? Cause <laughs> you do have to think about profit margins. You got to think about people's pay and income and all that other stuff. But I've, between our customers and as well as, you know, um, our, our team members, like I personally think that the financials are one thing and the relationships are separate. So like when you're, when you're dealing with a customer, if they're unhappy and they don't understand the difference between money and service, there's a massive disconnect that you need to correct before you can actually solve the problem. Because yeah. if I sign a con, like if you send me a, if you send me some boxes, right? Yep. <laughs> if you send me some boxes and I'm unhappy with them. Like, and you correct the issue. I'm still under contract with you. Like we have terms and, and we have an agreement and you know, I may be unhappy with your service. I may give you a bad review. I may do this and that. But at the end of the day, like, we still have a contract and an agreement, which dictates the money, dictates the financial piece and sure. the expectations. And so those two things are separate. And I think they are with business, too. It's like the money's one thing. And then your relationship with your team and your responsibility as a leader is another. Uh, the, the money is just, you know, the financial piece of it or the... I don't even want to say the metrics because it's not the metrics. It's just, it's literally a financial piece is something that, you know, is, is it's just an agreement between us as to how you're compensated for, uh, or what our goals are for the business to hit, but, um, they should never cross over. And I think when they do, that's when you have a lot of problems with your partners and you have a problem, problems with your team, you know, when mm. those things cross over, if you can't separate those conversations, yeah. Uh, so, I I guess I and I look and even in my own in my own business I, I kind of look at the I look at the money side as creating the opportunity for for the employment or for the relationships. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's the fuel. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. Like, it doesn't matter if you're driving a Lamborghini or a you know a Geo Metro. Like, you're still putting gas in it. Yeah. So you know, it's just it's just you know, it's how you use it. So that makes a difference. You know, do you reinvest? 
Um, you know, when we buy a business, we, we commit to reinvesting all the profits for the first three years. And the reason oh, we do wow. that is because we just have no interest in needing the income from those businesses. Because if we did, we would kind of be putting them in a bad situation. Like we're committing to grow them, yet we're taking the fuel away from them, right? So, well, and, you know, and, I've, and I've heard that happen. Right? I mean, I hear that happen all the time. I mean, almost yeah. it almost like it's almost just like in reverse, where some people look at the business as the people fuel the money, where I look at it as the money fuels the people. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, you have to because otherwise, they're not gonna, you know, you're not gonna get the results you want. Like, you know people are assets right yeah they're, they're not so like you're investing in them and they should be delivering a return on the investment but you need to invest in them first and um you know like i said the same same with team members right you don't hire a team member on and then day two expect a return on it no you may you may two months in you may two years in it depends on what the type of position is but right. at the end of the day like you know, there it's an asset. And again, if I were to look at one of my employees or one of my partners in the businesses and say, you know, yes, financially, I invested in you. Financially, you're an asset. You're supposed to deliver, you know, a return on, on the investment I made in you. However, I also have a responsibility to uh, try to grow your career, not just from a financial perspective, but, you know, help you get outside of your shell, right? Help you think outside of the box, uh, try something that you didn't think that you could do. So I could push you forward and it has nothing to do with finance. And the same thing with these businesses. It's like, you know, we take risks and it's not always financial risks. Sometimes it's like trying a new idea or doing something that people didn't think was possible and all mm. that. So, you know, that's, that's really the responsibility that we have once we make, once we sign an agreement with a business or even with an employee or team member, it's like, you know, we're expecting that from you and you should expect that from us. But, you know, here, here's the money and the, and the financial metrics you have to hit in order for us to stay alive. Right. In order for us to keep going forward. Yeah. Because finance, the financials, like I said, financials are fuel. Well, I'd like Nothing to, more. I like that you're so, transparent about you know about that with your team and with people and i and, and going back to our last podcast i remember you talking about you know doing you you try to do an exit or you do you do an exit interview every time you know somebody leaves for whatever reason they leave and and i remember that that you talked about even that relationship when you have a new hire and they're coming to work for you like you're you're signing a contract at that point. They expect things from you. You expect things from them. And as long as that contract is fulfilled and employment exists, when it, when that contract isn't fulfilled anymore, you know, now you have and someone's leaving. And uh, I think I, I like, I mean, that it seems like that mentality, I mean, even contract in this conversation has come up a couple of different times when you're describing relationships, but you, I mean, that's just, it has to be transparency. I mean, if you're if you're talking about you have a contract with somebody, that's like here's here's everything on your end, here's everything on my end, sign the line and and let's go. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the the contract is the minimum requirement. You know. Yeah. So I mean, it always should be. Yeah. It's just the minimum requirement, and and if you can't meet the minimum requirement, like if you have a goal to, you know. 
if, if some of these companies have a goal to hit a 5% net profit or something like that, and they hit three, they're not fulfilling the minimum requirement. That's a conversation. Um, yeah. And it's, and it's a tougher conversation. It's a tough conversation. It's the same thing with a team member when they're not performing. Like those are tough conversations, but you know, the, 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 the line between accountability and appreciation is, is thin. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this, like yeah. it's, it's, it's tough love. Like if I, you know, my son's just turned one and like, you know, you, you, you just can't let them run wild because they're going to turn into bad members of society. Right. <laughs> so you have to hold them accountable, but you love, but you love them, you know, and it's no different with a team member. It's like, there's there's just a tough love aspect of of running a company of of investing and if you can't sign up for that then you know yeah. maybe maybe you're a little bit maybe you're too too maybe you're not ready right yeah. maybe you're not ready because you can't if you can't meet, meet those minimum requirements then the rest of the conversations can't happen the growth can't happen the career growth can't happen the the uh, the personal growth can't happen like the minimum requirements allow us to have to, to keep moving in that direction. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at it, you know, if there's, if there's five steps, minimum requirements, step one, or if you're, you know, you're running a race that for, you have to take the second step to get closer to the finish line. And if you stay at or under the minimum requirements, you're, you're still on step one. Yeah. And that's why a lot of companies, that's why a lot of investments fail hmm. is just because they didn't meet the minimum requirements, right. Which is profitability. And, and, uh, you know, profitability, revenue, sales, whatever it is. But, um, you know, it's it's just those are put into a contract or those are put into an agreement because if you don't do these things, like, we're all going to suffer. Mm-hmm. And it's not fair to people to hold on to something that isn't generating value for everybody there, you know. And um, that could be an individual. It could be a business model. It could be changes in the market or something that you can't overcome. It just could be lack of capitalization, right? Like either you fix it or, you know, you have to potentially make an exit, shut something down, whatever. But, um, you know, you have to be realistic about yeah. about those minimal requirements <laughs> because if you're not, that that's when that's when you lose – the connection with people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because then everybody else suffers and, and they all see it. And they also see that you're, you're letting that, you know, like you're, you're letting that become part of the culture in an organization or, or in, in an investment. So well, they're losing trust, right? Right. Yeah. 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 You can't invest anymore. There's nothing there. Right. Cause you're losing or you're not, or you're not hitting the goals. Man, you know, you, you I'm, I'm, Taking a couple notes here, and already I already had this on my notes, but your your baby. I was going to ask, has he turned one yet? Yeah, he turned one um, on June twentieth. So okay, because I think last time we talked, he was like three months or four months, something something in there, and he made an appearance on the podcast for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was great. <laughs> so, um, Man, I want, okay, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back to him because I have a couple other questions about just what we, what we were previously talking about. Um, you know, one was the, you, you talked about financially when you invest in a company, it's, it's your, it's your guys' money. So you guys aren't, you're not borrowing money to when you're making investments. Is that correct? 
Yeah, not not from other people. Okay. So we don't have we don't have investors or partners or anything like that that are that are gotcha. putting money up on, unless unless they're investing in that business like they're an operating partner, you know. Okay. Or already or already in the business or something like that. We just don't source capital from uh, other investors. I understand. Got it. Okay. So yeah, thank you for clarifying that. And then you were talking about pushing people, growing people, ex- even exceeding goals, like push people past what they even think they can do. Right. Uh, how are, how are you doing that for yourself? Me individually? Yeah. Good question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, first I had a kid, right? So <laughs> <laughs> didn't think that was yeah, possible, and now we got that. That kind of forces you into into personal growth pretty quick. But uh, um, I mean, no, are I mean, you are you taking are you taking steps? Are you being intentional with that, or is it just is it kind of compiled with everything else you're doing? I, I was I was just curious. No, I'm being intentional with it, but you know what? Like, I, yeah, I think I think one of the lessons that I've definitely taken away from it is is I've always been a hard worker mm-hmm. and um, like, you know, I've always, I've always tried to grind and, and push and, and I put a lot of things in place in my life that would make me work smarter and not harder. But to be honest, like if you want to make time for your family and, you know, and do them justice and, you know, and, and actually, and actually spend intentional time with them, um, you, you need to work smarter, not harder. Yeah. And so, you know, I think from a personal growth perspective, uh, I'm just a member of a few organizations and associations and, um, you know, I serve on two boards. Um, and those things to me are how I think learning from other people that are in a similar situation is a, a great way to get knowledge and having some debate and discussion around it. Um, more than, classroom or books or whatever i mean books are all are good and, and that's that's a great foundation but if you immerse yourself into the world that you want to be in you know um for me it's entrepreneurs right people that are yeah people that are running businesses and growing businesses and struggling with the same family challenges and other stuff that we struggle with if you immerse yourself in those groups then you learn from other people it's a lot easier to be held accountable to the lessons that you learn and actually implementing them. So um, I just try to, I try to put myself in those situations and not be so structured about it, but, you know, make sure I'm around those people that I want to learn those types of skills from and grow. Well, that's, and I think that's really important. And even in my, in my journey right now, uh, I just joined a, a coaching group and for really, really for the, well, I shouldn't say the first time when I first started my business, um, I had a, I shouldn't say, yeah, there was a, there was a point in my business where I didn't, I mean, I didn't know what to do. I, I'm like, I'm like, I'm getting these orders and I have this and I like, I, I don't know what, I don't know what to do. I mean, I'm in my garage and it's filling up and uh, yeah. So I had a coach back then. He, you know, we walked me through that, got me into my first warehouse and that kind of thing and, and set some systems up. And, uh, but then just recently, uh, yeah, joined a group and, and yeah, it's, it's nice. I mean, I look forward to them, you know, once a month we meet for six hours and to get around the table and have conversations with other business owners. And I'm, I'm, I'm always, I'm always surprised that, I mean, cause I'm, I'm the smallest guy in the group. I mean, I'm, I'm either usually, usually at, at most I'll have two employees at one time, 
or two, two, two team members. I don't have employees. I have team members. But if, if I have two team members at one time, you know, a lot of times I'm just by myself. Um, and, I, and I use temp labor a lot. And, you know, we come in, we knock a bunch of stuff out, get caught up or whatever. Or, you know, especially during storm season, you know, same thing. But anyway, um, you know, there's other people at the table that have 50 employees. And it's like we're all still, we're all still having the same questions. Like my, my questions in my business are very similar to – his questions in his business. And, and it's, I didn't, I guess, I guess where, where, where I'm going is uh, I didn't think I would fit. Like I didn't think I would be a good fit at the table because like I'm the small, I'm, you know, by far the smallest guy there, but, but really like we're all still learning from each other. And then size really, it almost like size doesn't matter to a point. I mean, business, business is business and interactions are interactions. And uh, I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting that, how much of a how much of a fit and how comfortable you know I actually do feel sitting at the table? Yeah, I mean, you'd be amazed that if you were to ask for advice from most business leaders that are like you know really successful and do hundreds of millions of revenue or whatever, big CEOs of big companies, like they want to have that conversation because a lot of them are still struggling with it, right? Yeah. yeah. So like, there, yeah. I mean, everybody's in the same boat, um, as far as that goes, but you know, if you stay humble, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, stay humble and realize that, you know, your, your role doesn't change no matter how big the business gets. Yeah. Um, then you're always still going to be in that same boat. And frankly, once you feel like you're successful, you know, I mean, that I think it's sometimes where complacency can start to set in. And, um, you know, most of the, some of the most successful people I know just never realize it. Right. You never think of it that way. They're just, they're just trying to grow. Yeah. Trying to be better every day. So it's going, I mean, going back to like, yes, you just asked about how, how I personally grow. And like I said, I mean, I just try to sell, to put myself in those rooms that I think are going to, um, you know, that are going to deliver what you're talking about. Yeah. A better way to do things. Um, a discussion that you wouldn't have had with somebody else because, you know, entrepreneurship or um, being at the top of an organization can be lonely. And, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're staying in that, in that box and not putting yourself in those rooms with other people, um, like you said, you're the smallest company in that room. Well, that's, that's exactly where you want to be. You know, that's, you don't want to be. What I, yeah. That's, that was my goal. Yeah. I'm glad they let me in. Right. Yeah. And a lot of times, a lot of times when you become the biggest, um, you become a mentor and that's okay too, but then you should probably look for another group or another room to be in to get the next step, you know? So, but, but again, like it's not that you want to leave the group or, or leave that, leave that, uh, leave, leave them when you're, you know, when, when you get to the top, because that's, that's not what it's about. It's just your role changes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's important to, you gotta, you gotta give to get. So, um, you know, like you got, you have to give, like, if you weren't giving that knowledge, somebody else won't give it to you. Um, or having that conversation. That's why I said, it's pretty amazing when you ask people for advice or you ask people to come speak in front of your group or yeah. come speak to your team about something that they're passionate about. They'll do it in a second. And they won't ask for money because it's not about that, you know? So we just, uh, yeah, we just had a speaker come to our group 
uh, and they presented traction, which I know is something you brought up in the previous podcast. Uh, that, yeah, that was really good. And the one, the one thing I took away that's, that's just changed, changed a lot for me, the scorecard, just the weekly scorecard. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, man. Just getting that out of, just, it's out of my head and I, I can see like week to week. It's like, Oh, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. And you can not only reflect, but then you can forecast and it's so simple. And I was just like, wow, that just changed a lot for me. A lot of yeah, headaches gone. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Hey, from, a, from a time perspective, I want to make sure we talk about Ukraine. At some that's point. where, yeah. Well, no, that's exactly where I wanted to go next. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I don't really know. Let's just, you, you reached out, you said that you had a, a story. You wanted to talk to me about it. I said, can we, can we do it on the podcast? You said, yes. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I don't know what it is. I don't know a lot about the, everything that's happening in the Ukraine, I don't even know where you fit into. Like, <laughs> so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna turn it over to you and and let you have it if that's good with you. Yeah, sure. No, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, the so you know start kind of at the beginning. Um, my wife is from Ukraine, and um, uh, she was in. She came over here as an au pair, and she went in and her got her MBA uh, at George Mason University. And we kind of met while she was doing that and, um, you know, got married in uh, 2016 and we met in 2011. So, um, okay. so, you know, I've been, I go, I go to Ukraine um, about twice a year, Okay. you know, and stay for a couple of weeks or, or a few weeks and, uh, and uh, stay with her family. And so I've been, I've been pretty, pre COVID, you know, pre pandemic, like I was, we were going over there regularly and spending a lot of time over there. And then obviously what's going on in the news, with the, uh, you know, with the war, it's, uh, uh, that, that came up when, um, you know, she, she was here with me at home and, uh, we had travel plans kind of organized for her family to come here for the first time in a long time because of the pandemic when that started. And so, her brother, uh, her brother's 22, and he was, um, you know, he was at school in Poland at the time when the war uh, broke out, and um, he's he so he was uh, just wrapping up his last year, doing his final exams, and was supposed to go home to Ukraine, and then the war broke out, and you know they basically don't let you out of the country if you're a male between 18 and 60, I think. Um, so if he were to cross back into the border and go back home, he would have. Um, uh, you know, he would have uh, been, not been able to leave. So, okay. um, so basically, uh, you know, we had to find a way to get him here because he had nowhere to go. And um, so we kind of went down this path. I mean, my wife's been, my wife's uh, parents are both doctors um, in Ukraine, in a region kind of between Lviv and Kiev and, um, you know, they're they're I mean, it started getting really real because their airport got uh, bombed a few miles from their house uh, pretty early on in the war. And then pretty re- you know, repeatedly uh, over the course of the next 30 to 45 days after it started. And so, you know, it's been really intense because, you know, we get a lot of direct messages and um you know, she gets a lot of things on Telegram and stuff from friends that are over there and family that are over there about what's actually happening. And it's just, it, you know, it's just scary. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's really sad with what's what's happening to people. And, you know, when you're hearing the real stories and 
and knowing the people that, that are going through it, it's just, it's a tough situation. So she's been doing a lot of charity work and, um, you know, what we've been doing is uh, getting medical supplies from the Paul Davis network, from our business relationships, from people all over the country, and they get shipped to our flooring company, and we box them up. And then um, an organization, which I'd really recommend for everybody, called United Help Ukraine, uh, picks them up and then basically takes them over and, and ships them over on, uh, on uh, you know, in big, big uh, humanitarian airlifts. Okay. So... Uh, the cool thing is, you know, we get like we get pictures from people when because they're they're all they're all in like, you know, boxes that, you know, there are Paul Davis boxes or boxes that we, we logoed and all that stuff just to make sure they knew where it was coming from. And uh, and so we get pictures from the people when they receive them, um, you know, on the front lines and all that, which has been pretty incredible. Um, but she's you know, right now, the big shortage is military uniforms. And so. We've been really pushing to get used military uniforms and uh, new ones that people are buying and they're shipping it to the flooring company. And actually right now today, uh, they're down there boxing up a new uh, shipment to send out. So, uh, but, you know, that's what's going on. So, you know, if anybody uh, wants a good organization to donate to United Help Ukraine, it's a good one. And you can always reach out to me and I'll connect you with, uh, you know, with the right resources to see how you can contribute. But the crazy story is and how I'll, we get our brother. I'll put yeah. some contact information in the in the show notes so people can go there and reference that. Yeah, I appreciate that. So, yeah. the, I mean, the crazy story that really hit home for me was trying to get our brother here. Um, we were going to get him through the Canadian border, and we had him set up for a Canadian visa and all this stuff, and then we were going to fly him to um, Toronto, and we were going to go up through Buffalo and meet him and get him across the border and get him in the States. And uh, mm-hmm. then, uh, you know, the, the administration, the U.S. administration announced that they were going to put a formal program in place, which would basically close the borders unless you were going through this program. So we basically had like four or five days to <laughs> come up with an alternative plan because he didn't have his Canadian visa yet. And so... Uh we were able to find it was like a wednesday night and we were able to fly and find a flight for him from uh warsaw poland to amsterdam from amsterdam to mexico city and mexico city to tijuana and uh it was just literally direct you know uh, direct like hardly any layover i think it was 35 38 hours of flying something like that oh my gosh And, and so um he, he he jumped on the you know we got him there, uh, you know, got him to Warsaw, got on the plane, and went through all the stuff that needed to be done like Mexican visas and all this other st- stuff. And then Christina and I like immediately the next day flew out to San Diego, stayed the night, and, uh, and then in the morning drove down from San Diego in a rental car to the Tijuana border and walked across and <laughs> found our way to the Tijuana airport. And it was nuts because when we hit the Tijuana airport, United Help Ukraine was there and had like 30, 40 volunteers that had been working for weeks. And um, we had no idea. Like we knew we knew there was people there, but we just didn't know the extent of what was happening. And, And we got recruited to basically help them for a day until our brother arrived. And so, you know, we were holding signage, filling out forms for people. Uh, but I mean, it, it was, it was crazy. Every, every 30 minutes a flight would arrive and 
you know, there would be 10, 15, 20 Ukrainians coming through security, like not knowing. In Tijuana. Yeah, in Tijuana, not knowing English, not knowing where they were, where to go, not knowing where they were going to go, you know? And uh, wow. so what they had what they had done was they had uh, kind of set up a kiosk in the airport where they were doing all the documentation and they were working with Customs and Border Protection, which CBP was just where they were some of the nicest people Ooh. down there because they knew the situation that was going on. And they were really trying to be helpful about getting people into the country through humanitarian parole. And um, so they, what happened is uh, I guess the city of Tijuana had given United Help Ukraine like a, an outdoor rec camp. It was kind of like soccer fields and some facilities and stuff like that. And they had set up a refugee camp there. And so when you get to the airport, you, you fill out your, your paperwork and then they take you on like a little school bus, uh, like an old beat down school bus, I guess they rented or something and yeah. drop you, drop you off at this camp. And I mean, it's just some tents, you know, some beds. Um, they had Wi-Fi. They, they had set up, um, they had set up like regular food service three times a day. Uh, you know, coffee, uh, you could get clothes, um, you know, that were donated. You could, it was almost, it was just like a little camp. And basically there was about, I'd say there was about three to 400 Ukrainians there with us. And so we were there for about 16 to 20 hours, I want to say. And, um, you know, her brother got called up because they call you in numbers in groups of 50. Okay. And uh, they load, they load up kind of like a tour bus or something and they take you a mile or two to the border and there's a specific area for ukrainians to go across and uh you know then cbp does their thing there and you come out on the other side and so we had to we had to go through the the, the regular us you know border but her brother went through that side and you know we probably waited in a line a mile and a half long or something to get through on our side it took us like three hours to get through oh um gosh but uh but you know uh, he, he crossed and, and he's here with us now uh, under humanitarian parole. So like, um, you know, it's it just it, this, the crazy part about it is just, you know, seeing, seeing that many Ukrainians just in Tijuana, like <laughs> waiting to cross into the U S and not knowing where they're going or not knowing, you know, and there are just, there's so many kids, man. I mean, I can't, there were so many, so many little babies, you know, that are just, they had just taken that same flight or, or, you know, spent spent their life savings or whatever on those plane tickets, I'm sure. And yeah. had no resources and nowhere to go and just, you know, we're, we're well off. So, like, you know, it, it's it's just, it's hard, you know, it, it's just hard to imagine what happens after they cross the border uh, for them versus us. Where my brother-in-law has a place to stay. You, know, you guys went home. Them. Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, we just went home and you know he's got a room in my house now and we're sponsoring him and doing all that. But like, uh, you know, not everybody, not everybody that was there, like half half of them, the people we were talking to, just they knew somebody in the U.S. You know, like that was about the extent of it. Okay. They knew that you know some distant cousin or whatever was was here in the U.S. and and uh, didn't really know what was going to happen next. And and they basically had a bag and that was everything that they were able to get out of Ukraine. You know. And everything else is back there, and they don't know if they're gonna, you know, be able to see it again because um, they're from all over the country. So, yeah, it's it so tough. hard. It's so hard to. I mean, it's so hard for me to to imagine that. I mean, I'm trying to even put myself in in 
kind of in their shoes where, you know, say something happens here and me and my wife are pack a, pack a bag and you're getting on a plane and it's going to land somewhere where you don't know the language, you don't know the country, you don't know, and you don't know where you're going, but leave all your stuff behind and, and pack a bag. Let's go. It's basically it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, some of them just had duffel bags, man. You know, they didn't have yeah. luggage. Just, they had the clothes that were on their back and like a mm. sports bag maybe, you know? And, and yeah, some of these people are walking in there with two, three little toddlers or little babies, you know, that were like, you know, little tiny infants. I mean, wow. Yeah, it was, it, it was tough, man. So like, we're just, we really just want to make sure that people don't forget uh, that this is still going on over there and it's still just as bad as it, as it was. And I know the Ukrainian people are strong and, and they'll, they'll persevere. But, um, you know, if it was happening here, um, you know, if, if somebody was coming after us, yeah, you know, we, we would want to, we would want to help. And I just want to, make sure we don't lose sight of it because I've spent a lot of time over there and know those people well. And, you know, freedom means as much to them as it does to us. Yes. Um, they only gain their independence. Well, and probably, probably more, honestly, probably more. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, they gained their independence in 1991, you know? So what they've done to that country in a 30 year period is just absolutely incredible. They've, they've, They've turned it. They've turned it into something where, you know, people can be free and, and do what they want and think how they want and not be under a regime in, in a 30-year period. And and to to have to risk losing that for them right now is well, not I, even an option. And I think you know. And honestly, I'm like honestly even surprised. You know, just recently. I mean, when you when you say like, oh, we, you know, we have freedom, and you know, they they don't have freedom or they're, you know, a communist country. They have a dictatorship. And it's like, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine not having freedom or, or I feel like, I feel like it's almost just something that's said. You're like, Oh yeah. Okay. So they're not free. So they have, they have a ruler, but it's like, no, like they're like, they're not free to watch movies. Like they're, they're not free to watch YouTube. They're not free to like, there's so many things that, that I mean, when you're talking about freedom, they're not free to own their own businesses. They're not free, you know. It's like you can just keep going down the list, and it's like, not free means like, like literally not. They're not free. Everyone makes a decision for them. They don't. And I think I think it's almost just like we have so much. It's hard, especially anyway for me. I'm just speaking on me, but we have so much, and we're so privileged. It's hard to imagine the level of disparity that's in some of these other countries just because of how much how much we have i mean even if i feel like sometimes like even if you took everything away like they still have less than that and it's and it's hard to imagine so yeah when when ukraine's fighting for their freedom um it's important it's very important and it yeah, means and it means a lot yeah it's a it's it's a it's a question of it's a question of you know what what's what's your position on that right you know what's what's our position on on freedom because honestly right now you know um, right now it's just, you know, that, that's, that's really what's being challenged. And, um, you know, I got, we got married, we got married in the U S but we also had a wedding in Ukraine and, 
And like I said, I mean, they, 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 they welcome us in like family. They treat us like family. It doesn't matter where you're from or what you believe in or anything mm-hmm. else. Like, you know, they just, the people over there understand what it what what happiness means it doesn't doesn't it doesn't have anything to do with the things that you have or or you know or so the social services even or anything like that right because there's it's it's you know it's not as good as some areas in the united states it's not as good as a lot of developed countries but the thing that they have is is their freedom and the thing that they have is the ability to build something that to build a country that you know uh believes in 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 human rights and and believes in and believes in freedom and so like they're just so they're all just so happy when they're there because they know how much that means yeah and uh you know i just hope that again you know we don't forget that that's the that's really what's at stake um you know and that and that's what we're supporting you know it's not political it's just people yeah (laughs) you know, so, um, but yeah, I just want to make sure that got out there because, you know, I talked about it at one of the Paul Davis conferences and a couple other venues that I could get in front of people, but, you know, it's, it's really personal to me. Um, you know, my family's in the direct, directly affected by this and, and directly threatened by this. And, you know, we've known people who have passed away and all that stuff from this. So, uh, yeah. you know, we just want to ask everybody to, to keep, keep fighting. So. No, I'm, I, and I'm glad I'm glad you're bringing it up, and I'm glad because because uh, yeah, I mean I mean I don't it's not it isn't something that I think about every day, um, and it's honestly not something that I know you know that much about, but to know I mean it's, it's you know we need reminded that that is still that's happening. There's a there's a war going on in our world right now where where someone's trying to take freedom away from someone else, and. And that's really, and I, and I want to push that message because you're right. It's not, it's not political. It's not, someone's trying to take freedom away from someone else. Is that, is that something that we're going or that we want to have let happen? Um, right. I don't want that to happen. I don't want no. someone to take someone's freedom away. Um, so United Help Ukraine, they're, that's, that's who we should reach out to if we're, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't yeah, know what I mean, I'm going to do, but I'm going to do something. Of... There's a lot of good organizations out there. So, but that's just the one that, you know, you got to be careful, right? Because anytime something like this happens, you get a lot of bad, bad actors. Um, yeah. No, and I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm skeptical of that. Yeah. Right. So, so like, yeah, they're, they're the one that, um, I, you know, I personally like drop things off and seen it, seen it, yeah. you know, result in, in, in actual, action and and it just they seem they seem to be the way for us to get things directly to the front lines okay. and uh um, they're doing what they say yeah they do what they say and like i said we we know the people that are there you know so know the people that are there working with them so christina my wife's been uh communicating with them kind of on all levels from the u.s side to the ukrainian side to the polish side you know like so um yeah, she's the one that uh, she, that's the group that she trusts to make sure that things are actually happening. So okay. they're definitely a good one to support. And, uh, you know, I'll make sure that I send you all the information for them as well as Christina's efforts. Yeah, well, I'm going to I'm going to challenge my listeners today. Anyone listening to this, regardless of what you you think or thought, if you if you don't want someone's freedom taken away, check out United Help Ukraine and see how you can help. 
Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, well, Andrew, that was, I mean, I kind of, now, now that we got to that, I kind of wish we would have got to that first. That was, I mean, it's such a, it's such a huge message. I wasn't, I guess, every once in a while on this, on this podcast, there's things that happen where it's like, I don't know what I was expecting, but I wasn't expecting that. Um, and that's, yeah, that's one of the, <laughs> we got one of those times right here, which is great. I mean, that's, and that's one of the things that I love about, about the podcast and getting into conversations and, and things. So, um, thank you for sharing all of that. And, uh, and man, I, I'm glad your brother made it here. Uh, I hope the rest of the family can stay safe and man, thanks again. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. No, I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Well, man, I, I mean, we're, we're just, we just crossed an hour. Um, and we're on 4th of July weekend. So <laughs> I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure you've got some things that you want to do. Um, I know we've got a, a cookout going on later. So, man, again, appreciate the time. Um, you know everything that we talked about, and and I, I I just appreciate your your transparency, your genuine love for people, and like I said even earlier, man, even just reaching out to me to check on me to see how I'm doing every once in a while, man. It's it's you're a great dude, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thanks to you as well. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us. This is Jarrett broadcasting right out of his home in Muckleteal, Washington, and Andrew coming from uh, Northern Virginia. Northern Clif- Virginia. Clif- Clifton, Clifton, Virginia, to be exact. Clifton, Virginia. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody.